The story is told of a London pastor who on a Monday morning got on the trolley to go back to his church. He got on the trolley, he gave his money to the conductor. The conductor gave him back his change and he went and he sat down. He looked down in his hand and he realized that he had gotten too much money back. And uh, He thought, whoa, too much money here. Um, maybe I should give it back. But then he started to rationalize some things. He said, well, isn't this just how the Lord works? He knew it was going to be a tight week for me, and now i got a little bit extra, and maybe I can get some lunch today as well. But God is good, he's gracious, and he's given me and provided for my every need. Well, the train ride kept going, and uh, he kept thinking, and the Holy Spirit began to convict him of, uh, of the truth that he had been given too much, and it wasn't his, it didn't belong to him, the conductor had given it to him. So he got to the place that he was going, and he went up to the conductor. He said to him, you know you made a mistake. You gave me back too much change. He started to give him back the change, and the conductor said, no, I, I didn't make a mistake. Yesterday I was at your church, and I heard you preach about honesty, and I wanted to test you, he said. <laughs> People are watching you. People are watching your every move, whether it's your kids or your grandkids, your neighbors, other people in church. People are observing who you are. And if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have a particular mission in life, and that is to be like Jesus Christ. As Bill stated, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Christian literally means to be a little Christ. And so if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, you are his witness in this world. And as a witness, you are being witnessed by others. People are watching you. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. I invite you to turn to there in your Bible. We're going to look at what's called the Lord's Prayer this morning. And we're going to concentrate specifically on the idea of forgiveness. How you forgive the world is watching you and seeing if you forgive or if you don't forgive. And they're hearing a, a, a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ in your forgiveness or lack thereof. So let me just be upfront with you. I want a couple of different things to happen. I want to challenge you this morning. First, number one, that you would receive forgiveness that only God can provide through Jesus Christ that you would be saved, that you would have salvation, which is rich and free, but it was bought with a price, and that is the blood of Jesus that we sang about, that you would receive that forgiveness, and you know for sure that you are saved. But then I would like to challenge you to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. The title of this message this morning is called Forgiveness, the Oil of Relationships. Oil is to an engine... What forgiveness is to relationships. Oil in an engine stops the surfaces, the metal surfaces, from grinding each other out and from breaking. Oil also brings the heat away from the combustion cycle. So too, forgiveness does the same thing for relationships. Forgiveness allows us to have right relationships with one another without killing each other. Forgiveness also takes out the heat of potentially disastrous relationships that are destroyed through family strife, through controversy, through sin. Forgiveness is like oil to an engine. 
on Monday morning, October 2nd, 2006, a gunman entered a one-room Amish schoolhouse in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Do you remember this? In front of 25 horrid, horrified pupils, 32-year-old Charles Roberts ordered the boys and the teacher to leave. After tying the legs of the 10 remaining girls, Roberts prepared to shoot them execution-style with the weaponry that he had brought. He had almost 400 rounds of ammunition. The oldest hostage, a 13-year-old girl, she begged Roberts to, she said, quote, shoot me first and let the little ones go. Refusing her offer, he opened fire on all of them, killing five and leaving the others critically injured. He then shot himself as police stormed the one-room schoolhouse. His motivation? Here's what he had written in a suicide note. I'm angry at God for taking my little daughter. He told the children that before he killed them. This story captured the attention of the media all over the country and really all over the world. By Tuesday morning, some 50 television crews had come to Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, stormed this little town to stay there for the five days that it took for the killer to be buried and also for the victims. The outside world was amazed by what forgiveness? The forgiveness that this Amish community had for the killer and his family. The Amish community reached out with love and forgave Charles Roberts and forgave his family. The media was abuzz about this. 2,900 news stories that week. 534,000 websites were talking about it. Every paper from the Washington Post to the New York Times, Chicago Tribune, USA Today, CBS Morning News, Larry King Live, Oprah, all talking and amazed because this community forgave Charles Roberts. After the funerals for the little girls, there was a funeral for Charles Roberts. Not too many were in attendance, including his own family, but the majority of the congregation that day for that service were the Amish people of the community. We're going to see here in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus has some hard words for us. Hard words that these Amish folks that we just heard of took to heart. That they would forgive just as Jesus Christ has forgiven us. So look with me. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9. Jesus says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be our, your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray once again. Lord, we ask that you would do a work in our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, if you're not here, this is worthless. And I pray that you would speak to us of your great forgiveness for us. And that you would convict us of unforgiveness in our own heart toward others. Lord, we pray that you would be the speaker and teacher and preacher this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This is a prayer that can be prayed. Many churches pray this prayer together each and every Sunday morning. The Lord's Prayer. It's a model prayer. So many good things in it to pray about. I want to focus in on verse 12 and then 14 and 15. It seems to me that Jesus prays the prayer and then he comes back in verse 14 and 15 and he, and he concentrates on the thing that's going to be the hardest in that prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The word is forgive us, God, just in the same way that we forgive others. And then verse 14, and that's hard, that's difficult, for if you forgive others their trespasses, God will forgive you of your sin. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, God, the Father, will not forgive you. Wow, really? Is that true? Well, we believe that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, do, do we not? We believe that it's not of works, so that no one can boast. But these words of Jesus seem to imply, at least to me, that, that uh, salvation, forgiveness, is based upon something we do or do not do. But over 500 years of Reformation theology, we know better than that, right? It's all about what Jesus Christ did. So what in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, this is why we're here this morning. And we're going to dig into the Scriptures together. And I believe, as I know that your pastors do, that good preaching and good teaching always asks the listener to do something. So I'm going to ask you to do some things in this message and as we close together. What is forgiveness? I think this is a good place to start. What is forgiveness? I looked it up. Forgiveness is this. This is what my dictionary said. Okay? It said to excuse for a fault or an offense. To pardon or to absolve from payment of. In the Hebrew life, forgiveness was illustrated by a debt... And if you would forgive someone, you would pay their debt, or you would cancel their debt. I come across a, a bill uh, from four years ago. A guy came out to uh, where we were living at the time, and uh, he fixed our dryer. The uh, part of the dryer went out, it had broken, and uh, here was a bill for $169. Now, to my recollection, I had never paid that bill, and all of a sudden I found it in my desk. I thought, boy, i got to pay this bill. So I called the guy and uh, out of business. Praise the Lord. He provided that $169 for me. But I felt bad, but that, that was a debt that was forgiven. There was a missionary who was in Africa, and he kept a journal of all of his uh, interactions with the people in the community. He'd given his life to this culture, this, these people. He had a general store where people would congregate and gather and, and buy some things that they needed. He'd keep all of the receipts and all of his notes together in this book. And after he died, his wife believed that many of the people owed him a lot of money. He was very generous. He was very kind. He gave things away. He, he didn't call on them to pay their debts. And they found his journal, this receipt book. And there were many bills in it and written across the bills was the word forgiven. The wife actually wanted to get more money out of the people. She thought they'd gotten ripped off. She went to court 
And the judge said that no law of the land could give back what that man had forgiven. So forgiveness is removing the obligation that resulted uh, from something that someone did to you. Maybe for a wrong that they committed against you. Let's, let's say it this way. Uh, releasing someone from their obligation to you. The obligation that resulted um, because of an action toward you or against you. And forgiveness is saying, I'm releasing that obligation. That debt is no longer around. You're forgiven. I forgive. I harbor no ill will. I won't bring this bill up in the future. You are forgiven. So let's look at three amazing truths from this passage. Very simple. Right out of the text, three truths, specifically from verses 14 and 15. The first truth is this. First truth is that God can forgive you. God can forgive you. That's implicit in in this text right here. If you forgive, our Heavenly Father will forgive, Jesus says, verse 14. God forgives people. Isn't that a good thing? And it's not just a New Testament thing. God, God forgives all the time. Turn in your Bible back to uh, Malachi. Just look at a couple places here quickly. Not Malachi, Micah, chapter 7, verse 18. Micah 7, verse 18. Got it? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He, he, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What a great God that we serve, that he would cancel our sin. He would cast it into the depths of the sea. The psalmist would write that the the sins are taken as far as the east is from the west by our loving Heavenly Father who is rich in steadfast love. One book to the left, Jonah, chapter 4. Remember the story of Jonah. Jonah is called to, to, to go to the people of Nineveh and to proclaim to them to repent and turn to God because of their wickedness and their sin. God's judgment is coming upon Nineveh. And Jonah goes there and he preaches. Well, after he runs from God, but God got him back, right? Giant fish, and uh, he comes back, and he does it. He does the thing that God asks him to do. And you remember the story? What happened to the people of Nineveh? What did they do? They repented. These wicked, evil people, they heard the word that Jonah brought, and they repented, and they turned to God, and then God didn't wipe them out. And Jonah doesn't like this, because the Ninevites are enemies to Israelites. And so here's what Jonah says. This is amazing. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Well, verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than live. What a ridiculous statement from Jonah. 
Jonah knows that God is full of steadfast love, that he forgives exceedingly and abundantly more than we would even ask or imagine. This is our God. Who is like our God, as we sing? Who is like our God? God can forgive you. Now, a few questions need to be asked concerning this forgiveness that God offers. The first question is this. Why do I need forgiveness? Maybe you're sitting here today. I'm living a pretty good life, you'd think. I'm not as bad as a lot of other people. Why do I need forgiveness? Well, there's one powerful reason. There's many reasons we can give, but there's one. The the primary reason is this. It's to escape the coming wrath of God. To escape the coming wrath of God. Turn to Romans chapter 1. We'll use a few verses from Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God is being revealed. That means it's coming. The wrath, the judgment of God. We even sing, glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. That last verse is, hey, God's coming, and He's not coming as the little babe in a manger. Jesus Christ is returning, and He's returning with His righteousness and His righteous wrath that judges sin. And it's coming for you, and it's coming for me. All of the sin that you've ever committed has to be paid for and you will pay for it. God's mighty wrath, His justice is coming. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. We read, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each according to His works. This is the reality that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to be forgiven for our sin because the truth is judgment, righteous judgment, right judgment, good judgment, is coming upon us. Hebrews chapter 2 says, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now you say, that doesn't sound right. Justice and, and wrath is coming upon Sin, but it might not sound right in your world because we justify our own sin. We justify ourselves. But if we take it to the extreme, we start to understand the heart of God in it. We take it to Hitler. We see a man, Adolf Hitler, and millions killed. And we say there must be justice. There must be righteousness. There must be wrath against that time of sin. We hear about the child molester who molests Dozens of kids for years and years. And we say, that's not right. There needs to be justice. There needs to be judgment. That's why we have the court system. Judgment is good. Justice is right. But it's when that righteous judgment comes upon us that we say we don't need it. But it's coming. So the primary reason that we need forgiveness 
is because God's wrath is coming and be right with God. Be right with your maker. Second question is this. So what do we need to be forgiven of? So what do we need to be forgiven of? Anybody? What, what do we need to be forgiven of, do you think? I'm thinking of one word. Starts with an S. And ends in N. Sin. Yes, good. We need to be forgiven of sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to be forgiven of sin. We need to be forgiven of sin, and let me give you three categories of sin. Okay? I know I skipped over one of the points there. Um, there are secondary reasons why we come to God for forgiveness. Uh, that, that there's a lot of good stuff that we have, okay? Um, we experience the freedom that God gives. We really get to live life to the fullest. There's the joy of peace with God. There's relationships that are healed. There's all those other good things, but the primary reason is the wrath of God is coming and judgment is coming. You need to be right with God. But back to the three categories of sin. Number one, we have something called original sin. This is sin that you are born with. Sin that you don't have a choice in. If you're a person who has been born, how many people here is a person that has been born? If you're, you have sin. You have original sin. Romans 3.10 says that there is none righteous. No, not one. Not one of us. No matter how good. We're born with sin. The taint of sin from Adam and Eve. Every generation, everyone born is, is tainted with sin. Even our beautiful, wonderful little children display their sin nature. I remember with one of my boys, he'll remain nameless, but one of my boys, when he was little, he used to eat dog food. And he would go eat dog food, and we'd tell him, no, don't eat dog food. He's 14, 16 months. And I remember him walking over to the dog food crawling over. He didn't walk even yet. He crawled over and he held his hand above the dog food and then he looked up at me. <laughs> Wicked, evil little heart. He knew it's wrong. Didn't you, Trey? Okay. <laughs> so we're born with sin. Now, so we, like to, we like to think um, that we're better than we really are um, a lot of times. And, and you say, this isn't fair. Born with sin. Adam and Eve sinned. I didn't eat the fruit. In the garden, they did. And we tend to think, well, if I was in the garden, we would still be in a sinless place if it was me, but no. We wouldn't be talking about Adam and Eve this morning. We'd be talking about Steve and Eve if it was me. I would have fallen. Original sin. But it's not only that we have this original sin. Number two, we participate in this sin. It's called sins of commission. Sins of commission. This is the sin that you commit. It's the lying. It's the cheating. It's the gossiping. It's the prideful heart. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the life that we live every day as we deal with sin. We choose to commit sin. So it's not just that there's this original sin thing that we're, man, it's just too bad. You got a raw end of the deal. No. We choose to sin. 
And the third category of sin that we must be forgiven of is the sins of omission. This is, are the sins. These are the things that you are convicted in your heart to, to do, and yet you don't do them. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, If you know that there's something right that you should do, and you don't do it, for you it's sin. So you're at recess, and everybody is picking on the one kid that's the, the kid that gets picked on, and they're making fun of him, and they're pushing him, and they're doing some things. What are you supposed to do about it? God would speak into your heart at that time is stand up for this kid. Stand up for what's right. Do what's right. Tell them to knock it off, and yet you don't do it. That is a sin of omission. So we need forgiveness. Why do we need forgiveness? Because the wrath of God is coming. What do we need to be forgiven of? Sin. Third question, does God always forgive? Does God always forgive? Well, in Matthew chapter 18, you don't have to turn there. You can if you'd like. Matthew chapter 18, we see the the model for forgiveness given to us. In the day of Jesus, the religious teachers, the religious authorities, they, they had a, uh, an understanding of how much forgiveness to give to someone. The Pharisees would say three times. You forgive someone up to three times. Forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. And then, if they do that again, they are not given forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now remember, the Pharisees of that day would say three. So here's what Peter says. As many as seven times, Jesus? You can see Peter, bold and brash Peter. The Pharisees say three. I'll double it and I'll add one for good measure. Let's see what Jesus would say to that. But Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times but 70 times 7. Or 7 times, 77 times. The idea there is not a specific number. The idea is that you would always forgive. That's amazing. That the Lord would forgive. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your sin is forgiven. And he, he forgives all of your sin from the past and the present and the future. Romans 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is great news. This is the forgiveness of God. It is unlimited. There was a cartoon that ran some years ago in the New Yorker had a picture of the prodigal son in the background and in the foreground with the servants. And they were saying this, man, this is the fourth time this month we've killed the fatted calf. That's God. Who is like our God? Who is like our God? But the fourth question you might ask, and if you grew up in church, you've heard this term, what about the unforgivable sin? What about... The unforgivable sin. Is there something that I can do that God doesn't have the power to forgive? 
I want to set your heart and mind at ease, Christian. As a believer, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, there is no sin that Christ's blood has not paid for. You can't go out today, stub your toe as you're getting in your car and do something in that moment that God says, I will not forgive you. No, the unforgivable sin, I believe, is, is blaspheming of the Holy Spirit that is continually rejecting God. That you may be coming to this place, if you're not a believer, I want you to be warned of this, that you would come into this place and you would hear the gospel preached, you'd hear about Jesus Christ's love for you, and you'd refuse, and you'd refuse, and you'd refuse, and your heart would harden. And that's the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. That's the unforgivable sin. It's not something that you can just do and, and, and not be forgiven of as a Christian. It is the rejection of God in your life. So truth number one, God can forgive you. Have you been forgiven? Have you cried out to the Lord? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Second truth. Second truth is this. You can forgive others. You can forgive others. For if you forgive others their trespasses. If you. That implies Jesus saying, you can do it. You can forgive others. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's telling the church to practice forgiveness. He says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Just as Christ forgave you, now church, forgive other people. So I'm going to get really personal right now. Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? You can forgive your husband. You can forgive your wife. You can forgive your brother. You can forgive your enemy. You can forgive your neighbor. You can forgive the person who would even have killed your father. This is what happened with Sue Norton. Sue Norton is from Arkansas City, Kansas. She re- received terrible news, a phone call from her brother in January 1990. Her father was dead. So was her mother-in-law. Sue's dad was shot to death in his isolated Oklahoma farmhouse. The crime netted the killer 17 bucks in an old rusty truck. The loss of her dad broke her heart. She sat through the trial of Robert Knighton. He was the murderer. And she was confused about how she was supposed to feel. Everyone in the court uh, was filled with anger and, and righteous anger, rightfully so, but she, she said that it didn't feel good for her to feel those ways. And last night of the trial... Sue, who is a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, she thought and prayed that there must be another way. And she didn't eat or sleep all night. She, she thought about her dad and how he's shot in the chest for trying to help this guy out at the farm and how she was supposed to feel about his killer, this Robert Knighton. So she prayed the night before the end of the trial when morning came, 
She believed that she had a word from the Lord, that the Holy Spirit was telling her, Sue, you don't have to hate this man. You can forgive him. The next day when the jury was out for deliberation on the fate of the killer, Sue got permission to visit him. She went and visited him through the bars of the jail cell. She says that I was really frightened. This was my first experience in a jail. Robert was big and tall. He was shackled and had cold, steely eyes. At first, Robert refused to look at Sue. She asked him to turn around, and he answered, Why would anyone want to talk to me after what I've done? Sue replied, I don't know what to say to you, but I want you to know that I don't hate you. My grandmother always taught me not to use the word hate. She taught me that we are here to love one another. If you are guilty, I forgive you. Robert Knighton thought that Sue was just playing games. He couldn't understand how she could forgive him of such a terrible, horrific crime. Sue says, I don't think of him as a killer. I thought of him as a human being. Well, people thought that Sue had lost her mind. Here she was forgiving the very person that put her dad's life to the end. How could she act this way? She said this, there's no way to heal and get over trauma without forgiveness. You must forgive and forget and get on with your life. This is what Jesus would do. So Robert Knighton went on death row in Oklahoma. She began writing him letters and her conversations with him led to visits, which led to one particular visit where Robert Knighton prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. Sue states that some good news has come out of her dad's death. She says, I've been able to witness to many people about Jesus and forgiveness and helped others to heal. I have brought Robert Knighton and many other men on death road to our Lord Jesus Christ. I live in peace with my Lord. She went on to start a prison ministry. She gave an eloquent speech to the parole board that was determining if they should put Robert Knighton to death or not. She believed that he should stay in prison for the rest of his life, but she didn't think that he needed to be put to death. After they listened to her, they came back with the verdict, and they decided to put Robert Knighton to death, which they did. And after the chemicals to begin to flow in his body, Sue Norton, who was there to witness her father's murderer being put to death, she had forgiven him and befriended him. He had been saved, and moments before he died, Knighton told Norton, I'll see you again someday, and God bless you. He also said, I'm very sorry for all the wrong I've committed. Sue Norton forgave. You can forgive. God can forgive you. You can forgive others. The third thing, this is hard, God won't forgive you if you don't forgive others. Let me just read Jesus' words again so you see that they're not mine. Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You must, as a kingdom person, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must forgive others. It is part and parcel of the new creation that you are as a Christian. But if you say, you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand the years of hurt. 
You don't understand how many times I've forgiven them. You don't understand the, the feelings and the emotions that are wrapped up in, in the situation that I'm dealing in. And, I, and I'll tell you, I don't understand it. I don't understand your specific situation. But here's the problem. You don't understand your situation. Your situation is that Jesus Christ hung and died on the cross for your sin, and He forgave you of all of your sin. And out of that same love and power comes the power to forgive others, just as Jesus Christ has forgiven you. And if you truly understood that, then you'd forgive. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean you continue to expose yourself to harm, abuse, no, that's not what it means. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you stay with somebody who's hurting you, no. But forgiveness means showing the love that Christ showed you. Remember what Jesus did on the cross? Remember that he went to the cross for you? Remember the night that before he was to be killed, he, he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane and he, and he, and he prayed to the Lord? This is the Savior of the world praying, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What's the cup? The cup was the God's wrath. And what was God's wrath being poured out on? The cup contained all of our sin. It contained your sin and my sin. And you're stealing and you're lying and you're gossiping. All of that, Jesus was going to take the cup of wrath on himself. And he... He bled. The capillaries in his body burst open and blood came out as he thought about the, the horror of all that sin on him and the wrath, the righteous wrath that he would bear for you. And yet the next day when he was on the cross and when they spread out his arms and drove the nails through his hands and through his feet, as they placed the crown of thorns upon his head, he cried out in a loud voice, not with vengeance or anger, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who is like our God? Who is like our God? With this same love, you must forgive. It's not that if you forgive, you earn your spot. No, but if you don't forgive, you prove that you're not His. It's not a work. It's not a work. It's an action that we must take. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow in prayer now at this point. I'm going to ask that you would ask the Lord. Remember, God is real, His Spirit is in this place. Just say to the Lord, Heavenly Father, if there is someone I need to forgive, bring them to my mind now. Lord, if there's someone that I need to forgive, I, I pray that you would bring them to my mind right now, Lord. And if the Lord has brought someone to your mind, you need to forgive them. You need to forgive them and release them from the obligation that resulted in a pain that they caused you. Maybe you need to receive the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for you on Calvary. 
that you would turn from your sin at this moment. Repent. Turn to Him. Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. Save me. Let me be a Christian. I want to live for You. Lord Jesus, we give You thanks and praise. We thank You that You've purchased our salvation on the cross, that You forgive us freely when we come to You, and then help us, Lord. This is hard for me. Help us to forgive in the same measure to others. Lord, we realize that your word is true, that this action or the lack thereof demonstrates who we really are. So Lord, help us to be your people, we pray, in this. God, we thank you for the great gifts that you've given through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name we give you thanks. Amen.